All right, so we're going to be First John, First John four. It'll be a little bit before we get there. So I know, I know, it is not the PowerPoint is not the Word of God. Uh, I uh, just deleted what we had on there last week, made sure we had everything right for this week, and uh, the PowerPoint is like the bulletin. It's a helpful aid, not given to us by God. So. In fact, the PowerPoint is usually less inspired in the bulletin. Um, so, First John 4, again, it'll be a little bit before, before we get there. Uh, so we're looking at Gnosticism. Gnosticism means knowledge or, or to know. Uh, at least that's the etymology of it. And uh, we looked at, there's three things we want to look at. We looked at the first two last week. The first was syncretism. It, it starts with Greek thought, which we're really going to explore today. And then it merges with Christianity. If you want a modern equivalent of this sort of syncretism, uh, you need to look at theological liberalism. Um, if you go back all the way to Friedrich Schleiermacher, who's considered the father of modern liberalism, we'll look at uh, Socinianism later. But it begins with um, what, what is acceptable in the world. Uh, we need to update Christianity in order to reach the world. And if the world doesn't believe miracles are possible then you need to adapt Christianity to that world. And so liberalism has been on a 200-year quest to update the faith to the point that there's nothing left of the faith. The best example of this, he just died a week or so ago, named John Shelby Spong, he's about 90 years old. Uh, he got to the point where, I mean, he denied everything, but he got to the point where he denied theism. You know, you could be a Christian and not believe in God. Uh, I mean, it, it becomes so mushy uh, Dr. Moeller, uh, uh, Spong was quite, quite, quite an influential guy when I was in seminary, and Dr. Moeller would debate him on TV and stuff. And his 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 favorite line was to say, "Spong has denied so much of the faith, he's running out of books because there's nothing left to deny." Right? <laughs> you know. So, um, and there's some some real truth to that. And that's Gnosticism. It starts with Greek thought. It doesn't start with the Bible. Uh, and by the way conservative Christianity is going that direction. We'll start with our political I I ideology, or we'll start with our tradition, we start with our upbringing, and then we come into the Bible. There is a temptation among conservatives for, for that sort of approach as well. Then there is, I've called it self-discovery, because it's more of a, a modern um, term, but it begins with knowledge. So salvation comes um, not by a humbly coming before a Savior, but rather uh, finding uh, an enlightened self inside. So salvation isn't outside of you. Salvation is inside of you. And this is the religion of today, I believe. Uh, that, that there's really only two religions. And the prominent one today, I think, is Gnosticism. Um, and we spent quite a bit of time on that. Uh, used Moeller's um, uh, way he, he presents it in his sermon, which I think is helpful. The one we look at today is dualism. And dualism comes down to essentially, remember this is Greek philosophy coming into Christianity, that everything in the universe is reducible to two fundamental realities. This is the divine, this is the self. That everything breaks down into two fundamental realities. Now before you think, okay, that is, that is unlike anything, we don't think like that anymore. One of the things I've noticed is we, we've actually become more like this. Can I prove it to you real quick? It'd be real simple for me to prove it to you. You are either pro-vaccine or a monster. 
you are either anti-vaccine or a sheep. Right? Does this, this language sound familiar? I'm not interested in what side you're on. I'm saying that we, we live in such a black and white, dualistic, bifurcated world. You're either this or that. And I've shared with the deacons, I've probably shared it publicly with y'all, that my big, one of my biggest frustrations with COVID is how difficult it is not to make policy, public policy, the focus of our church. Right? It would be so much easier if we just picked a lane and and just said well you're either on the train or not right and it would be easier than that because that's the direction of the world i mean when you go to buy a pair of shoes or a cheeseburger you're essentially being asked to participate in that worldview it's bizarre isn't it i mean in the 1980s if if there was a commercial on ice cream you know what they were trying to sell you ice cream now what they have to do is to sell you that every time you buy this ice cream, you're helping third world children. Uh, a good example of this is, uh, I just made that example up. Uh, the recent one that comes to mind is Tide. You know, there's two things about that Tide commercial. It's, it's the guy from the office singing, you know, and Daryl from the office is singing. And, and it shows uh, when Tide goes to areas of natural disasters, they give the little bunny to, uh, to the little girl who's lost everything in the fire or flood or whatever it was. And then, you know, they, they, they provide you clothes or, you know, whatever it is. So when you buy Tide, you are helping victims of natural disasters. Well, that's good. That's probably not why you should buy Tide, though. You know, the other thing about that commercial is they use two of those Tide pods. Right? And they put that in there so that you double the use of Tide pods so you buy more Tide pods. That's my theory. <laughs> As a millennial, I'm offended that you're laughing at me. <laughs> All right, so, so we do live in this very bifurcated world now, and it's, and it's getting worse. There used to be room for some gray. Uh, I think we said this last week, like when, when the gymnastic girl, you know, did her thing, I didn't have an opinion on that, and that was an epiphany to me. It's okay not to have an opinion. Well, when everything is dualistic, you had better have an opinion or you're on the wrong side of history. Right. At least that's the way it's presented. Well, let's see how, how this applies at dualism. Let's start with the divine. In Greek thought and Gnostic thought, in the beginning, all reality was spiritual. It's going to be very important to, to know. Now, is that wrong? No, because God is spirit. But they're not saying God is spirit. They're saying all reality was spiritual. And so you, you begin with, with the first spiritual being. You use whatever term you want. We'll, we'll use the term logos. Okay. Uh, to use a Gnostic term, or some of the Gnostics use, or even uh, Philo, the, the Jew would use. And the Logos replicated itself. And so, and it rep rep replicated itself, and on and on and on and on it goes. Well, one of those replicated beings turns out to be evil. We'll call this the Demiurge. And the Demiurge essentially created the world. It's more complicated than that, but for the sake of simplicity, you got the Logos, which is spiritual, and it's replicating all that. And you get the Demiurge, which creates uh, reality, the material universe. Okay? You can already see where this dualism comes in, right? If, if the Logos, the first spiritual being, everything is spiritual, that's the idea, it's spiritual. And the evil being, the Demiurge, comes and creates matter, then that which is matter is bad. That's going to be the big idea in this dualistic world. I'll give you an example of, it's debatable whether or not he's a Gnostic. Um, 
but he's often grouped with the Gnostics, and I think it's fair enough. His name is Marcion, M-A-R-C-I-O-N. Marcion was a very strict dualist. We'll come to him when we look at Jesus. He argued that in the Old Testament, you had the Logos, God. Or, I'm sorry, you didn't have the Logos. What you had was the Demiurge called Jehovah, Yahweh. Now, why is Yahweh the bad God? He created the material universe. And then there's this part where he orders genocide. I mean, he does some pretty rough things. Some of it, the, the teenage boy in me loved, right? Swallowing people whole, you know, stuff like that. Um, but it's pretty rough reading in the Old Testament. I mean, we're 20 chapters into Genesis. It's pretty rough reading, even the first 20 chapters. You come to the New Testament, and you meet the Logos. So guess what his favorite book of the New Testament is, or at least of the Gospels? It's John, because he mentions the Logos, which is the first God. And here is the good God. So the Old Testament is the Demiurge, the bad God. The New Testament is the good God, and he goes by the name of Jesus. See where this is going? So you have your good and your bad. So what Marcion did was he came out with a Bible. Now remember, in the New Testament, right, every Christian has a Bible. It starts with Genesis and ends with Malachi. And they were perfectly content with that Bible because the gospel was presented there very clear. The book of Acts makes this very clear. Right? However, you have these writings that are spreading throughout the church. The four gospels, the writings of Paul and John and Peter and all that. They're around and they're accepted by the local church and used in worship. But if you were to ask, what is the Bible? They would point to the first 39 books of the Old Testament. Okay? Marcion is the one that moves the church to officially consider the, the idea of what's called canonicity, you know, the, the Bible. Because what Marcion did was he, he said, okay, the Old Testament tells you the story of the Demiurge, the bad God. And because he's the God of the Jews, you see where this is going? That the Jews are bad. After all, it's the Jews who killed Jesus, the good God. Supposedly killed Jesus. We'll get to that. So you have these New Testament books. And he loves Paul. Any idea why he loves Paul? Paul don't put up with them Jews. Read Romans. He calls them out. Read Galatians. He calls them Judaizers. And he, he gets in their face and he criticizes Peter for, for his Jewish ideology. And with that, he loves Luke, Luke and Acts. Why? Because he's partnered with Paul, and, and Luke is the least Jewish of the four Gospels. And in Acts, it, it, it favors a Gentile Gospel, if, if, you, if you want to use his language. I think that's unfair, but, but I think you can see what, what he's saying. You want to know what he didn't like? He didn't like the Gospel of Matthew. Quotes the Old Testament more than any of the four Gospels. It's very Jewish. And Mark is like 96% Matthew, so, so there goes Mark. Uh, John he likes because, because of the, the Greek thought that's in there, the logos and all that sort of stuff. And so you can see that, that you, have, you have these writings that are recognized, just not officially, you know. And, but Marcin comes and says, no, here's your Bible, and it's stripped of Jewish influence, at least in his reckoning, okay? And this leads the church to the process of canonization. Well, uh, again, this is nothing new. This idea of dualism is nothing new. Uh, again, let me give you another modern example of this. Oh, wait, that, that is just to make sure you're paying attention. Go ahead, ladies, and say, ah, right? But Star Wars, can you think of dualism in Star Wars? 
Yeah. You, 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 have, you have the good and bad force, right? You have the light side and you have the, the dark side. Come and join me in the dark side. You know, all that sort of stuff. And the movies are on that premise, okay? Will Luke join his father on the dark side? Will Kylo Ren, will, will he come out of the dark side, right, and fight the emperor again, right? Good night. Come up with another villain. Um, but, but, but that's the premise, so the emperor is a good guy who joins the dark side. The Siths are Jedis who are on the dark side. The Jedis are on the good side, right? I mean, it's very, very bifurcated. Which, by the way, it, Star Wars is very Gnostic. You should really watch it. It's very Gnostic. Um, and so when people say you can present the gospel using Star Wars, it's not an orthodox gospel, I don't think. Sir, sure, there are, you do the same thing with the Matrix, you ever heard someone? I, I went to a uh, it was a Methodist like a little weekend youth retreat when I was in high school, and our leader presented the gospel using Matrix, right? So uh, Neo is the one because Neo N E O uses the same letters as the word one, you know. And Morpheus was this prophetic person who believed the coming of the one. They, they the ship was called the Nebuchadnezzar, and, and you know taking the red pill, whatever it was, brings you into a spiritual reality. No, it's it's not the gospel, right? I mean, don't force it, right? It's not there. The people writing those things do not believe in 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 the pure gospel. Okay, stop trying to make Hollywood on your side because they ain't. Okay. Anyways, um, but Star Wars is very much influenced by this dualistic thought, uh, among among other other shows, right? So how does this affect Jesus, right? So, so you get the big idea of the divine. Spiritual is good. Physical is bad. What do you do with Jesus? The Orthodox claim is that Jesus is fully God, eternal one with the Father, yet he is fully man, 100%. Right? And uh, there are other heresies that, that explore you know, what we mean by that. Uh, and how the church came to understand it. But nevertheless, 100% God, 100% man. Now, if you buy into Gnostic or Greek thought, there's a problem there, right? If Jesus is material, Jesus must therefore be flawed or even bad. You see how Greek thought sneaks into the Bible because that's where you begin with. Again, we do this today. We start with our politics and we want to make the Bible fit our politics. That's why you get both parties quoting the Bible, usually out of context. All right? so, so you start with that, then you come to the Bible. And, and this is what the Gnostics are doing. So you get a movement called Docetism. It's a fancy way, uh, it, it's a fancy way to, to say that Jesus appeared to be physical. The, the, it comes with the Greek word dokeo, uh, meaning to appear. And so what you have then is Jesus looks physical. He acts physical. He, he does things that appear to be physical, but he's not literally embodied. Right? Um, now, once you know that that was a real thing uh, early on in the church, you should reread the Gospels, especially the Gospel of John, because John goes out of his way to make it clear you could touch, you could hear, and you could share a meal with Jesus. Um, Notice how, how it starts, right? John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning, was the Logos. Well, if, if you're a Greek, that has a meaning to you. If you're a Jew, especially if you're influenced by Philo's teaching about the Logos, that has a meaning to you, right? Then in verse 14, he says this, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. 
We have seen his glory, glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. What's his emphasis there? It is the divine self embodied in Jesus. Jesus is the divine one who is embodied. He tabernacled among us, and it is flesh, flesh and bone is Jesus. If he fell off the, the roof of his grandmother's house, he would break a bone. He's a very physical being. And notice what you have in John, 1 John 4, the passage we opened up to. 1 John 4 says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Now, that, that's good, right? You should test anything people say. Well, how, how, what is the test here? Verse 2, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Now, you could say any spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the Spirit. Divine, right? They're of God. But that's not the heresy that John is having to deal with in Ephesus. It's an early version of docetism, of, of Gnosticism. Um, Verse 3, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and is now in the world already. We've looked at 1 John in some detail before, but what if I told you we may know who the Antichrist is? I mean, you want to know that, right? It's, it's, it's Joe Biden. I'm just kidding. It's Donald Trump. I don't know. Whoever it is that, that you're supposed to despise these days. Um, remember that the word Antichrist appears in 1 John, not in Revelation. Revelation, it's the beast. In 1 John, the word is Antichrist. And he seems to have someone in mind, someone specific. We can't be certain of this. But around this time in Ephesus, we, we have testimony from the early church fathers who knew John personally. There was a heretic that, that we, we call him uh, an early Gnostic, uh, Gnosticism still being developed into what it, it would become. Um, uh, his name is Serenthus. Uh, Irenaeus describes him this way. Serenthus taught that the world was not made by the primary God, but by a certain power far separated from him and at a distance from that principality who is supreme over the universe and ignorant of him who is above all. Notice the, the, the duality here. There, there, there is an additional being who's distant, so it's a type of deism. Um, he represented Jesus as having not been born of a virgin, but as being uh, the son of Joseph and Mary, according to the ordinary course of human generation. While he nevertheless was more righteous, prudent, and wise than other men. Moreover, after his baptism, Christ descended upon him in the form of a dove from the supreme ruler. This is what theologians call adoptionism. That is that when Christ was, when Jesus was baptized, the Christ came upon him. That, that, that God adopted Jesus. It's adoption. It's, it's, it's an old heresy. It's still kind of around, usually among, to be honest, ignorant Christians who just don't know any better. But it is still around. You'll hear it every once in a while. Because God declares, this is my son. I will please. Well, he didn't say that at the birth. Well, no. <laughs> okay, but that's okay. Um, but uh, so, so Serenthus buys in, into that. So notice that Jesus, the flesh part, is bad. Wiser than all the other ones, but still bad. Christ is the spiritual embodiment, right? That's the good. So Christ appeared to be human, but he wasn't. He was spiritual. Um, 
uh, he performed miracles, but at last Christ departed from Jesus, that then Jesus suffered and rose again, while Christ remained impassable inasmuch as he was a spiritual being. Notice there. So you have the Christ descending upon Jesus at his baptism and ascending prior to the cross. Why? You cannot kill the, uh, the divine one. You can kill humans. And what happens, I, I believe, Sir Anthony would argue this, the Christ spirit comes back and that's how he's raised. Only to ascend again. So you see that very clear bifurcation between the flesh and spirit. So you have two entities into one body. That's not the Christian doctrine. The story goes that uh, the apostle John was at the uh, public bath or however they, they did in Rome. And Serenthus showed up and John ran out as fast as he could, afraid that because Serenthus, the heretic, was there, uh, the roof would came in under the judgment of God. All right. So we may know who the Antichrist is, right? or at least a Antichrist, the one referenced here. Same thing in, in, in 2 John. Um, For many deceivers have gone out to the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Notice, Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the Antichrist. Paul will use similar language, Colossians 2. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, According to the human tradition. Oh, wait, James, this is your passage. First sermon I ever heard you preach is right here. Um, according to the elemental spirit of the world and not according to Christ. For in him, in him, the whole fullness of deity, there's that language, dwells bodily. Your translation may say in body, bodily form. Right In the flesh. This isn't just Johannine theology. This is biblical theology. Again, go read the Gospels again. Especially John's Gospel, who emphasizes that the divinity of Jesus more than the other three. But read his resurrection accounts. And what you have then is Jesus saying to Mary, don't touch me. And we get caught up on, why not? Why not? I don't know. But what is important for the Gnostic is, Mary can touch him. He then goes and has fish for breakfast. He's cooking fish. He shares fish with with the boys. He appears physically. He says, Thomas, touch my my, my wrist and and my side. You can actually touch me. I'm an embodied being. Um, And so so this was very important in in the early church. So we we emphasize the the human and the divine of Jesus. We're going to come back to why why that matters. Let's let's do this duality in one other way. The divine is dual. Jesus is dual, and the self is dualistic. Um, in Acts 17, Paul meets a group of philosophers in Athens. You remember who they were? You have the Epicureans on one end and the Stoics on the other. He basically met with uh, Republicans from eastern Kentucky, right on the West Virginia-Kentucky line. And he met with leftists from Portland, Oregon. Okay. Uh, This is who he met with. The Epicureans believed you should indulge the flesh. Do whatever you want. Eat, drink, and be merry tomorrow we die. The Stoics believed you should should refrain. You you, you should hold back the flesh. They were aesthetics. They, They rejected the flesh. Now, why are these two groups here? And how come they can't come to some middle ground, right? I mean, we can all agree, right, that there should probably be a middle ground. Usually with extremes, we should all kind of Tuck, tuck in off the wall a little bit, right? 
So why can't they do that? Well, it comes to Greek thought. Remember, spirit is good, flesh is bad. Who is the real you? The real you, that inner spark within you, that's the real you. Remember, Greek thought in Gnosticism, the key is to find that inner thought, that inner spark. So the flesh is bad and the spirit is good. There's two ways to apply that. One is the real you isn't doing all these things. So go do whatever it is you want. Doesn't matter. It's all bad. So even if you try to withhold the flesh, you're still doing bad things. Every time you eat, because it's physical. This world is meant to be escaped. Their favorite hymn, I think, was I'll Fly Away, right? They, they want to. No. I, I do think I'll Fly Away is, a, is an orthodox. It gets kind of dicey in one line, but I, I still think, think it's perfectly orthodox. The Stoics use the same philosophical root. If the flesh isn't really me, what I need to do is escape the flesh in this world and become deeply spiritual. I need to withhold the flesh. So asceticism was their approach. So Paul shows up in Athens. You've got these two extremes still writing the same papers and essays against each other. And CNN chooses their favorite and Fox News chooses their favorite and they only show their guys and they just yell at each other from across the television screens, right? Glad that doesn't do that now. And Paul walks in and he says, you've, you've got an idol up there or you've, you've, you've got this sign that says to the unknown God, I know who he is. And that unknown God, creator of the universe, became flesh. And that is why they look at him, especially after the resurrection, which is a bodily resurrection, which means God cares about this physical universe. That God himself would stoop down to become flesh and to be raised again in the flesh to an eternal body. They look at him and say, you are bringing strange things to my ears. We'd like to hear more about this. Because they lived in this dualistic world regarding the self. Well, this, this plays a, a, a major part in, in the Bible. What Gnosticism did for the most part, it took that philosophy and said, whatever you do, it's okay because of grace. Let's put it the way Romans puts, puts it. Where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. This is why Paul has to say, does that mean you should keep sinning so that grace can keep abounding? No. He gives two illustrations. Baptism, we, we looked at a few weeks ago. The other is slavery. You're not a slave to the flesh. You're a slave of Christ, an embodied being. And in baptism is a spiritual baptism, it's symbolic, but it's, it's of a physical event that took place, the death and resurrection of Jesus. Let me, let me give you, go back to Jews, we looked at it some time ago. Certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. That's the major plot of Jude is, is the judgment upon them. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of God into sensuality, lewdness, or your translation may say licentiousness. That's a word we should bring back, Right? licentiousness. That just, mm. um, And they deny our only master and Lord. Notice that he uses these two words. They, 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 they don't want Jesus to be master and Lord because that's slave language. That they are not subject to him because they're spiritual beings. 
right? And who is Jesus? He is a man named Jesus, fully God, fully, fully man. He'll say the same thing, or essentially for say, in like manner, so he, he's quoting you know, all the people judged in the Old Testament. These people also, relying on their dreams, self-discovery. How many people will make big life decisions based off of a dream? Some of that can work out. At all. I don't have all my answers about dreams, but some, some people will believe in dreams more than sometimes common sense. They defile the flesh. That's what he means by licentiousness. Reject authority. What is the only authority? It's right here. Right here. And they blaspheme the glorious ones. Probably a reference to angels, which goes into what will be developed. Some Jewish thought in the past, Gnostic thought moving forward. The glorious ones, remember, are spiritual beings. They're not fleshly beings. Spiritual beings. All right. So, so that, that, that's the dualism of Gnosticism in, in a nutshell. And it is a, a, a major problem. Um, if you want another example of this in the New Testament, read the seven letters to the churches of Revelation. We, of course, we just recently did a study through those. The, f- the f- first or second one, there's two of them mentioned, uh, the Nicolaitans. We mentioned this last week. Uh, may have been named after the, the fir- one of the first deacons. But it's very possible the Nicolaitans were an early Gnostic group who indulged the flesh because of this duality. Okay? So does this show up today? We've got to move quickly. First of all, dualism of, of, of the divine. Uh, I've told you all this story before, but it's, it's, it's a, it really helps me to, to, to think of this. Uh, we had two teenagers die in a car wreck when, when I was in Breckenridge County. Uh, I knew one of the families quite well. It was a very long and hard day in our ministry there. But in the days and weeks to follow, you know, I was doing my regular rounds of visitation, and there was a shut-in. Uh, not only later was a shut-in. Of course, it's all people talked about for, for months in a small town, as you, you can imagine. And uh, she was trying to explain to me what happened. And she said, look, people got to know there's a devil. God, and there's the devil. When something good happens, God did that. When something bad happens, the devil did that. How many pages in the Bible do you have to go before that is completely destroyed? Page two? Right? I mean, you do have the devil doing bad things in the garden. But it ain't Satan saying, ha, gotcha. Guess who's, who's, guess who's not going to like the labor part of pregnancy? It's God doing that. And that includes the righteous. When you come to Jesus, labor pains don't suddenly go away. Thorns and thistles don't go away for Christians. Right? That's God. Page two of your Bible. If it's a study Bible, page six. But still, it's very early on in in your Bible, right? And you can keep reading. The righteous suffer. There is an entire book dedicated to this called Job. God exercising authority over uh, Satan, who must ask for permission. Satan is not a super being. He's a created being. And and is is used by God for, for his own purposes. Uh, I, I don't want to read Lewis here. Uh, Lewis uh, suggests temp- uh, dualism has always been the temptation. Um, uh, I think it's mere Christianity. I, I, I want to skip him. Um, yeah. Um, Lewis was actually tempted by dualism. He said outside of Christianity, dualism was, was a real good option for him. But what about Jesus? Well, have you noticed, so, so in the early church, they had to prove that Jesus was human because everyone was willing to believe he was divine. What do we have to do now? 
In the modern age, we have to go out of our way to remind people he is divine because people are okay if he's only human. It's a different type of Gnosticism in that what is emphasized. Still the same problem, isn't it? You can't have either or. I grew up in a, in, in a conservative context. So because we were so worried about the liberals getting rid of the divinity of Jesus, you know what conservatives would do? We wouldn't emphasize the humanity of Jesus. So we didn't know what to do with Jesus wept, but we did believe he could uh, 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 jump large buildings in a single bound. It's the way we presented him, right? You so emphasize one side is at the cost of the other. You need a Jesus who can walk on water, but he does it in order to comfort those who are afraid. You need one who is divine and human. You need one who can weep at a friend's funeral and still raise the dead. You have to have both. You have to have one that can satisfy the wrath of God while still suffering under the wrath of God upon the cross. You have to have both in order to have the gospel. And we have a tendency to prefer one to the other. I do suspect that the secular world will err towards the divinity of Jesus again and couldn't care less about the humanity. In fact, I suspect there will be some who will start to question his historicity. I re- I, I, because we're getting very Gnostic and because we're spiritual. We spiritualize everything. You, you see this in that Jesus uh, is lumped in with other wise and spiritual leaders. They, they seem to have this enlightened spirit. The Gnostics did that. Jesus wasn't the only one. He was the most enlightened. He wasn't the only one. Uh, go find you a life coach, and he's got it too. Uh, he's on YouTube. I mean, you can watch it too if you like. He does these retreats out, out in these cabins in the middle of nowhere. I think it's in Illinois. You can go, and let me tell you, you'll come back and your life will be changed. You will finally find happiness, right? That's Gnosticism. We, we do it today. Um, and Jesus will just be numbered among them. What about the dualism of, of the self? C.S. Lewis, uh, one of the things he, he did was he would equate scientism with magic. There's an entire documentary you can watch online. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's still on there, probably illegally, but it's on there. Um, and it's fascinating how he makes this argument. I can't chase that rabbit. But he, he wrote, um, there is something which unites magic and applied science while separating both from the wisdom of the earlier ages. So what you have then is in, in the old ages, you had magic. You didn't have science, right? right? If you give me three hens and, and we do this, that'll make your, your code go away. You know, whatever it is, okay? Magic. And he says, you're getting something like that with scientism because it's lacking the wisdom of, of, of the old ages, right? So, so, so the lunacy of one is, is creeping into the other. For the wise men of old, the cardinal problem had been how to conform the soul to reality. The solution had been knowledge, self-discipline, and virtue. For magic and applied science alike, the problem is how to subdue reality to the wishes of men. The solution is technique. Right, we, we've talked about this, right? So, so if my real self is inside of me, look, change the word spirit to feelings and it all makes sense. If I feel as if I'm truly a woman, that may not conform to reality. Like I can arm wrestle my wife and win. She's among the few people I can win an arm wrestling competition. And the only reason I can beat her isn't because I work out. It's because I have more testosterone than her, right? And, and, and my voice is different. Uh, my, 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 my athleticism is going to be different than, than the average woman. Not because I'm better, because I'm a man. She's throwing a birthday party right now because she cares about that stuff. I am never going to throw you a birthday party, right? I mean, I'm just not 
It's not gonna, okay? It just never crosses my mind that we should be happy with other people on their birthday, right? I mean, that's just not me. She's very gifted in that area, right? Men and women are very different. That's reality. But if I feel as if that's not who I am, I must subdue reality, science, into a new reality. We'll call it magic. And, and we'll publish all the kids' books we can to convince little Johnny that what they see and experience isn't actually real. So we live in this magical world. So get rid of demons and angels and spiritual beings that haunt uh, uh, you know, every rock and roll album of the 1980s and instead make it feelings that haunt you to make you deny what is, what is right in front of you in the mirror. It's, 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 it, we're still doing this. We do not see ourselves as flesh and spirits. Uh, we don't see ourselves as flesh and we see ourselves as spirit. We don't see ourselves as facts, but feelings. Feelings trump reality. My body says, um, uh, the boy says, my body is a boy, but my feelings, my spirit says, I'm, I'm a girl. And this, of course, feeds indulgence. The spiritual but not religious line is an excuse. It's a slogan to justify sin. And how many people go to church to confirm, to, to confirm that their preconceived notions are, are true? So, so you come into the church saying, if they disagree with me, it's not the church for me. Without ever actually saying, what does the Bible really proclaim? I've had a conversation with a guy recently where, where that was the issue. He wanted to know everything I thought, especially when it gets to the political stuff. I was like, we don't do politics here. I couldn't care less what you think. Yeah, but that, that okay, I couldn't care less. Jesus loves us all, uh, even if you voted for the wrong guy, okay? It's okay, right? No, I'm not going to come here unless everyone agrees with me. I mean, that's Gnosticism. Gnosticism. Um. Well, how does, uh, how does one, oh, but let me add just one little point because someone asked me about it. I made a passing comment last week. The Gnostics didn't like the Eucharist, communion. And the reason is because the communion is the most physical thing we do in the church. We eat literal bread. We drink literal almost wine, right, Baptist wine, okay? And the Gnostics struggle with that. And so they, 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 didn't, they didn't want to do any of that. Um, so how does one understand evil? If I do something wrong, call it sin or evil, that's not the real me. Does that sound familiar? Have you ever watched a public apology from a celebrity or a politician? What are they arguing? Look, I know everything you saw in the video uh, looks like me. I know the, the, that voice you heard. Boy, it really sounded like me. I don't know that there's a pattern of behavior that's been going on for a long time, but you just need to know that's not the real me. That's Gnosticism. Because the real me is in here. It's in here. Um, there is a quote that is often attributed to, to uh, Lewis. I should have put it, put it in my notes and put it up here. Um, because because I, I won't get it right. And it w I've, I've written the whole thing on my website about it. Um, but it, it's something like um, um, where Lewis supposedly said, because he didn't say this, um, 
you, you are not a body with a spirit. You are a spirit with a body. And that was not Lewis's theology. Um, nor is that what the Bible says. Um, the Bible teaches that you are an embodied being, body and soul. And what you do with four and two both really matters. Can I, can I illustrate Gnosticism in this room again? What we've done is there's the body, which is you can transform any way you want. But because we don't believe in the soul, we believe in feelings. You've heard us use language like uh, mental health, emotional health, physical health. Right? Psychology has become the new theology. That's why we don't have pastors. We have therapists. And, and what is the key? Mental health. So we're worried about anxiety and, and all those sort of things. What is the solution to mental health? Appeal. Emotional health. So, so we get with, with all the issues surrounding there. Um, we won't talk about spiritual health. We, 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 we bifurcate the body down. So, so, so you have these categories. But it's still the same thing Christians have always had, physical and spiritual. But the Christianity has said how you treat one affects the other. So it isn't just, well, if you get Jesus, your body will be fine. Or if you just exercise, your spirit will be fine. No, no. Quitting your alcohol habit is good. And it will affect you spiritually and body. But you need to, to do something spiritually with that as well. Right? It's, not, it's not enough. Right? Um, and so you'll hear me more. Something I've been trying to do more is speak of spiritual health and physical health. Because it's easy to get in that trap of um, emotional health, mental health, relational health, sexual health, physical health, right? You, you just keep cutting the body down. That's not how the Bible actually presents it. So let's go out with this. How is one saved in Gnosticism? Well, the key is possessing the spark of divinity. And all, needs, all one needs to do is become woke. I mean, I'm sorry. They need to awaken to reality by self-discovery or knowledge and embark on a spiritual journey of enlightenment. No, wait, woke was the right word, wasn't it? That's a, you know, realize that's a theological term. The great awakening is taken from the revivals of the late 18th and, and, and early 19th centuries, the great awakening. So, so one who is woke is one whose eyes have been opened. Does that, that story sound familiar about having eyes open? One who is woke is one who has is, who is taken the, the red pill or blue, whichever one is in the matrix. One who has come to the reality of the self, which happens to conform to what you're being told by the broader culture so that you don't stick out like a sore thumb. But you've come to reality of the self that... My skin color matters in this way or that I've, I've perpetuated in a violent, unjust society in this way. I've, I've joined this movement and the movement does not care with what you do with your body. The movement cares about what you do with your soul, how you think, what you write online, how you vote every four years. You can do anything you want with your body. You want to mutilate it all you want to, go right ahead and do it in the name of freedom and science. We don't care about that. Don't go against the party line because you're woke now. You're woke. It's Gnosticism. It's a means of salvation. And when you get saved, you become so self-righteous, you look down on everyone 
that, that you know, the monsters. You can look down on them like, like Gnostic Pharisees. Um, or, so if woke doesn't work for you, will the word deconstruction work for you? How many so-called celebrity pastors have deconstructed the faith? What does that mean? It means basically I found a way to squeeze heresy into my spirituality. Now I can sleep with whoever I want. It's not, not, not really that more complicated. It's Gnosticism. It's the same pattern of Gnosticism, and it's still around with us. I hope you're not lost. I really hope you're not lost. Um, I think next week we'll look at Pelagianism, which has to do with the will. And that will probably get me fired, but that's okay. Um, you got anything you want to add? Danny, you got anything? <laughs>